Lord, we do thank you that we could come together tonight and continue to look at this topic of faith. Lord, I thank you that you are making us into women of faith, women that believe you despite what circumstances dictate. I just think about the screen tonight. It was just Jesus putting his hand out to Peter that was sinking in water because he had his eyes on the winds and the waves, and there you are standing right before him, calling him to look at you. And I just pray that you would just continue to help us to see you, to look at you, no matter what the circumstances might be that we might be facing personally, or a loved one, or a friend, or a neighbor, or someone that uh, is unsaved that we know. God, help us to believe you for the impossible. Help us to believe you for miracles because everyone in this room tonight and those listening online is a miracle. Lord, and we just ask this in Jesus' name. So tonight we're looking at the work of faith and we're in chapter nine in our Bible study. And I love the worship tonight because I just love just sitting in his presence and just loving on him and letting him just love on me back. And when you are in his presence, you realize this is what I was created for. It's like time stops, heaven is real, and nothing else matters, right? Don't you feel like you could stay there forever? You don't want it to end? Yeah, yeah. A.W. Toza said, it's been popular to preach a painless Christianity and automatic saintliness. I mean, think about how you got saved and the message you heard that led you to Christ. And the belief that when you come to Christ, how? We're a new creation in Christ, right? Scripture tells us that. But how many times do we really feel like a new creation? Because that old man keeps rising up. Right? It has become a part of our instant culture. Just pour a little water on it, stir mildly, pick up a gospel track, and you are on your Christian way. Lo, we are told that this is biblical Christianity, but it's nothing of the sort. To depend upon that kind of formula is to experience only the outer fringe the edge of what Christianity really is. We must be committed to all that it means to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There must be a new birth from above. Otherwise, we are in religious bondage and legalism and delusion or worse. Those are sobering words, right? So think about it how you came to the Lord, and what were the circumstances that led you into a real intimacy with Christ, like we just experienced tonight in the worship. We have to look at, this chapter talks about what does genuine faith look like? What does it really look like? 
Paul emphasized that faith alone enables us to receive the gift of salvation as we see in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul said, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, meaning we can't earn it. It is a gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, even though we are saved. Once we're saved, once we're born again, we are now his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for a purpose, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How awesome is that? That before we were even formed in our mother's womb, knit together in our mother's womb, God had a plan for us to be saved. That's why he sent Jesus. And that's why he sent all the people he sent our way to witness to us or trials he brought our way to get our attention so we realize, what am I living for? What am I doing with my life? Because he prepared beforehand that we would have a purpose, meaning. And think about how many need that message today. How many you know out there, or you know personally, that are hopeless? They don't know why they're here. They're wandering. I, I always remember the man that, I, he's been to the church a few times since we've started. He's homeless, but he just wanders all day long. And I said, he is a picture of mankind, wandering aimlessly. What is my purpose? I remember being there, just wondering, why was I even born? Why was I even created? We were created to know him. Remember the apostle Paul? His prayer in Philippians, what he said, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So we see that the saints that have gone before us have this cry in their heart. If you've truly been born again, I wanna know him. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at in my walk with the Lord. There's so much more to be known of him. I heard someone say it once, he's like this diamond. You know, when you turn a diamond, when you have a really good diamond, each time you turn it, you see a different facet. And he's like that pearl, that diamond. Every time we turn, we're like, wow, wow, wow. He's so amazing. There's no one else like him. There really is no one else like him. Well, Paul wanted to know him. Paul saw him. Paul had a Damascus Road experience, and he saw Jesus. He saw him. But it wasn't enough. He still had a cry in his heart, I want to know him more. I want to know him more. Peter prayed for the church in his time, and this was under Nero. This was a church suffering under Nero, and Nero was a maniac. If you ever studied, he was a nut totally possessed by demons. But Peter prayed for the church in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. 
and he knew was God's desire for them, he said that you would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of him. And that's our prayer today for the church in our generation, under our crazy administration, (laughs) that we would all grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. That's what salvation is, knowing him. Knowing him and realizing God has something for me to do. He saved me because he has something for me to do here on planet Earth for however long I'm here. Faith and works. You were created for a purpose. Every single one of you. You here in this room, those listening online, God has a calling on your life. Do you know what that calling is? Have you sought the Lord and asked them, Lord, what have you called me to? What is my purpose? That's something you have to seek the Lord for, and he'll show you. But Jesus told us, does anyone know what eternal life is? Jesus in John 17, 3 eternal life is that they may know you father the only true God Jesus Christ whom you sent so that's Jesus's heart for us that's what he was praying so you see this theme right Jesus prayed it Paul craved it knowing Christ in a better way Peter prayed for it don't you think It should be our prayer too. Lord, make me to know you more. In this trial I'm facing right now, make me to know you. In this circumstance that my loved one is going through, Lord, help me to see you, your majesty, your glory, that I might know you in a greater way. Because knowing him, the more we know him, the more faith we have because we realize he's the faithful one. He's the one that keeps all his promises. It's amazing because Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart. And this means in every human soul, there is a God-given awareness that there's something more than this transient world. Have you ever felt that way? I can remember that 30 years ago, sitting at my desk at work saying, This can't be all there is to life. I was walking with the Lord. I was born again, but I knew this can't be it. What I'm doing here at work, this can't, there has to be something more. I just, in my spirit, I knew there has to be more. So what does the Lord do? He lets me meet Jeff. And you know our story. And it's through that, that he was showing me, there's a lot more I have. For you to know me, but then I have something for you too, too. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you, God's working in you right now, to both to will, and to do for his good pleasure. To will and to do for his good pleasure. 
So the question we have to ask ourselves is whose will and pleasure do you do most of the time? I had to get honest with myself 30 years ago, sitting at my desk, pursuing my career. And the Lord made it so real to me, it's all for self, Rose. I'm not in it. I'm not in what you are doing. And he called me to walk away from it. 20 credits shy of getting my bachelor's degree in health education. It was so clear. I want you to walk away from it all. But Lord, don't you know they're grooming me for this management position? I want you to walk away from it. But Lord, don't you see I'm so close to getting my degree? I have more for you. But you gotta walk away from what you're holding on to. Because I had to get honest with myself. I was doing my own will. It was what I wanted to do. I love what I did. I love working in the hospital. I love working in administration. I love working with the community. We did health promotion fairs for the community and I taught classes to the community. I loved it. But he said, walk away from it. If you walk away from it, I'll reveal myself to you in greater ways. That's scary. But I had to be honest, well, Lord, I'm doing my will. This is my pleasure. This is what I like to do. And when I got honest, I saw no. It wasn't as well for my life. And I know that to be true, because I wouldn't be sitting here today. <laughs> 32 years later, I mean, Jeff and I will be married 33 years next year. So I wouldn't be sitting here today if I didn't walk away from everything. I don't know where I'd be right now. But I probably wouldn't be in a good way, that's for sure, staying in New York. And Jeff, especially. So you have to look at, okay, what about me? Am I in the center of God's will? Am I doing what he wants me to do? Am I serving where he wants me to serve? Because out of gratitude, really, Gratitude that he saved me. Gratitude that he gave me this gift that I wasn't looking for. I wasn't looking to be saved. He sought me, he found me. And all I can say is thank you by giving away now my life for his kingdom purposes. So think about what you were living for before you came to Christ. Titus 3 verses three through eight says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Does that describe anyone else in this room? I know that's what I was before I came to the Lord. But when the kindness and the love of our God and our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is a faithful saying. You are an heir. This is a faithful saying. You have a hope, a blessed hope, eternal life. That's what God has given to us. This is a faithful saying, Paul said. And these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God would be careful to maintain good works. So again, we see the faith and good works go hand in hand. These things are good and profitable to men. You are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. And he has good works prepared. Prepared for you. Before the foundations of the world, before you were even created. He knew there's going to be a Teresa who's going to head up Meadowview. That's the good works he's given you to do. And you're doing a good job. <laughs> you're doing a good job. Good works. Sarah, your good works are the kids. Pouring into your kids. Pouring into them. Pouring into them. Teaching them the ways of God. Teaching them the ways of God. Denying self. You have to deny self to do that, right? God sees that. He sees that. And he's pleased. He's pleased. Holding faith for your daughter. Being Christ to her. She saw you were once darkness, but now you are light. She can't deny it. God's real. And you're serving her as Christ would. As Christ would. First Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are... This is true of us if we've been born again. It's true of Israel as well, of God's people. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of his of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is all about job descriptions. If we've come to Christ, we're to proclaim the excellencies of who he is, how he stepped into our world, pulled us out of a terrible darkness. That if you look back, how many times did you think, how am I ever going to get out of this? We thought, this is my life. This is going to be my lot forever. But God stepped in and pulled us out somehow. And now we tell others. We tell others the good news. This isn't just for me. You can have this too. Those that are looking, I think in the light that you're being where you are, now you're bringing others to come, to come to Christ, to come to Christ. God's using you there. You can prepare for good works right there where you're at, in Middlefield. He's using you in that way. Your life has a purpose. 
Your life has a purpose. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world. Everyone in this room is a light in this world of darkness. A city that is set on a hill which cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Again, we see that. The good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. So I want you to think about the darkest situation you might walk into. Whether it's family members that aren't saved. And let's say they invite you to come over. You walk through that door with the mindset, I'm bringing light into this dark spot right now. You're light there. You're light. And they're watching. They're watching the good works that come out of you. They might try to squeeze you so something else would come out or push those buttons but they're watching. Trust me, they're watching. We've heard that testimony over and over from different family members in my family. When the bottom dropped out for them, they've all said to us, we've watched your life for years and we know what you have is real. And we need what you have. It was the same thing when that girl came and shared Jesus with me at my desk in 1984. I was in a terrible darkness, but I saw she had something that I didn't have and she totally lit up the whole office. And she was full of the love of God. And I knew I need what you have. I don't know Jesus. I don't even know why he would want anything to do with me knowing what I've given myself over to. Why would he love me when my own father abandoned me? Why would he want to join his life with mine, Jesus, this Jesus? And she just prayed a simple prayer with me back then. Lord, make her to know your love. Make her to know your love. Because as we open the study, that's what it's all about, knowing him. Knowing his love, but then taking that love to others that don't know him. Or that need to know his love. Because love is what melts us, right? It melts us or it hardens us. But ultimately, it winds up melting us, right? Because we realize, I can't fight this love anymore. So I might as well surrender to it. Might as well surrender to him. First Peter 2, verse 11 and 12. Again, this is what faith looks like. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, right? There's that battle going on that we've talked about frequently. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, referring to the unsaved, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of vegetation. So we see that there again. We're to live as pilgrims. You hear that here all the time. We're pilgrims and sojourners. 
to abstain, even though we're in this war between the flesh and the spirit and we're trying to abstain 100%, we fail at it, right? 99%, 95%, 80%, 70%. For us, all of us is different. We fail, but we're still warring against the flesh. We haven't quit. We're still warring against it. Why do we do it? So that people would look at our lives and see there's something different. You guys aren't like the rest. So you ladies aren't like the rest of the ladies that are out there pursuing the things that they pursue. The women of the world pursue. Everything that's for now, holding on to now. Not realizing there's an eternal, there's an, there's an invisible realm that's more real than this realm here. This is, C.S. Lewis called the shadows. It's all shadow land. We're living in a shadow land. It's all passing away. Matthew Henry said, it is putting an affront upon him to call him Lord as if we were wholly at his command and had devoted ourselves to his service if we do not make conscience of conforming to his will and serving the interests of his kingdom. Again, this is from the Bible study. So this is telling us that if we're calling him Lord, then he should be the one really leading us and guiding us for his purposes in life. So you can get up every morning and say, God, what do you have for me today? Who do you want me to speak to today? What do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to serve today? Who do you want me to call today? Who do you want me to maybe send an encouraging text today or... You know, you could just ask him that and he'll lay people on your heart. I was so blessed this past Sunday because we had our neighbors over, some of them, because I can't fit everyone in my house. It was tight as it was. But I've been praying for them for years for an open door. And I never shared with my neighbor across that he had to put his wife into a home because she's in her early 60s and she has dementia very very bad a really bad case to the point that she doesn't know who he is anymore doesn't know the kids or anything so they were at the house and I said to him I said you know I never told you this but I'm gonna tell you this tonight I said I was in a service and we were worshiping and your wife kept coming in my head I kept seeing her face you have heard the story, but I told them, I says, you know, and I'm saying, that's odd. Why do I keep thinking about her? You know, and the song we were singing was Send Me, Send Me. I forgot the name of the song, how it goes, but it was, the basic thing was Send Me. So in the morning when I got up and I was having my quiet time, again, her face kept coming to me. And I was like, okay, Lord, do you want me to go across the street and talk to her? And I'm telling her husband, this is the first time he's hearing the story. And But the other neighbors are there. Two of them are really saved. The others aren't. So we have four of us that are saved and the rest are not saved. So it was really a testimony of just God and his love. So I told him, I'm praying downstairs. Her face kept coming to me. And I said, okay. You're going to have to make it really clear to me because I'm, I'm sensing I keep seeing her face. So there's a reason why I keep seeing it. So I go upstairs and I go to my uh, kitchen sink to put my cup in and her garbage pail is in the middle of the street on my side. 
and right there was like open door. So I didn't even question anymore. I just marched across the street, got the garbage pail. I told him, I knocked on the door. Your wife said, can you come in? I need to talk to you. And I was there for almost three hours and we talked about everything. She had told me, he said, I don't know what you guys talked about, but she was so different after that. I said, well, she told me that she would walk down the road when she got diagnosed with the dementia. And she asked the Lord, she was at one time walking with the Lord and she asked him, Lord, do you see me? Do you know what I'm going through? And she said, you knocking on my door was him telling me, yeah, I do see you. I said, yeah, he does see you. And I told her what happened to me in service and in my prayer time. And I went over there and he's hearing this for the first time and he's weeping, just weeping. And I said, and, and it was so crazy. I said, because then she pulls out her Bible that she had stored away. And on her Bible cover, it was a lighthouse. <laughs> and I told her, I says, look, God moves a New Yorker across the street from your house that was in a different ministry. We started this lighthouse eight years ago. Your Bible is lighthouse. I said, you think God sees you? He was like beside himself. And the others, the, the two that were saved, they were like, praise the Lord. <laughs> they were all excited. And the other ones were like, wow. But these are the things that God wants to use us and how he wants to use us. So people know he is very involved, very aware of what they're going through. He has good works for you to do. All of you. More. More. I know, I, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but I'm going to share it because it's just on my heart. I was perfectly content being at Pure Life. We were there 22 years. I loved the ministry. I loved being at Pure Life. I mean, I loved it. I loved the ministry. My roots went down very deep there. So when we started sensing our time there was up, the one thing that kept coming to me, because I had people, we, we know a lot of people, and they were saying, like, you guys crazy? What are you doing? You leaving? You've been here 22. Why are you leaving? They couldn't wrap their mind around it. And we couldn't help but sense the Lord leading us to start this. Because the one thing that kept coming to us is, I don't want to have to stand before Jesus with everything we have done. But him say to me, I had so much more for you to do. Why didn't you go? And I remember telling Steve that. And they knew we were supposed to start this. I mean, they knew, because God was calling them to go back to the ministry. And they knew, okay, God's calling us back for a reason, because they had never been there all the time. Those years we were there, they would come, go, come, go, come, go, come, go. But God was calling them to go back and stay so that we could leave and do this. So that was just so real to me. Even though we do good works for his kingdom and we may have so much to lay at his feet, he can still look at us and say, but I had so much more. Why were you afraid to step out of your comfort zone? Because I had to get real with Steve. 
I told him, I said, this has become my identity, pure life. Not good. My identity is not in my ministry, what I do. My identity is in Christ. So be careful. When the Lord does give you good works, don't let that become your identity, because it's not. Your identity is in Christ. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. We are in Christ. Because what happens is, what happens if that's taken from you? God passes it on to someone else. If your identity is in Christ, you're okay with it. You realize I served my purpose while I was there. God has something else for me to do now. So faith and good works go hand in hand in that way. Willingness to do his will, willingness to serve in his kingdom, wherever he has called you to serve. But also we see the true nature of true faith also in the following verses here in Luke 6, 44 through 49, where Jesus said, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you look at that scripture verse, you realize, okay, what's so special about bearing fruit, a fruit bearer? Well, a fruit tree, what's so unique about a fruit tree? I mean, what does a tree do that bears fruit? Who's that fruit for? To feed people. To feed people, yeah. Yeah. So we're called to be those fruit trees because a fruit-bearing tree feeds many people. And your life will become a blessing to others as you feed on the nutrients of God's word. So you keep feeding and keep feeding and keep feeding. Even when you don't feel it and you feel like I'm just going through the motions, you keep feeding, feeding. Because probably what you see, the time you do spend on his feet, whatever you've been feeding on in his word comes out. It just comes out of you, pours out. So nothing is wasted. It's not wasted, even if you don't have the feelings. Not only are we to be fruit bearers, but we're also to be walking in obedience. And that's saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not what I desire, not what I want, let your will be done. James 1, 22 through 25, we all know the scripture verse where James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of a word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observed himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all he does. And we know that God blesses obedience. But this is what obedience looks like according to Jesus. In Luke 9, 23 through 25, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, 
let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Not just one time when you first come to the Lord, it's daily. What does the cross represent? Death. Yeah, we just heard that, right? When the people in Jesus' time saw someone walking with the cross, the Romans, they crucified people on the cross till they were dead. Well, Jesus is saying we need to deny ourselves. If we've truly been born again in the faith, this should be the fruit that's coming from our lives. An obedient life where we're denying ourselves, not my will, Lord, but yours be done, taking up his cross daily and following him. He said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it or save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? So true followers of Christ live this way. It's not to say that we don't have a day where it's like we're wrestling it out with the Lord. It's like, Lord, I don't feel like doing this. But he keeps reminding us, "Um, do you remember what I did for you? It's like, yeah. Well, how can you not? You're right. I need to repent. I need to repent. As children of God who've been born again by his spirit, we now live to do his will, not ours. Jesus is our example because Jesus said, and he was, well, the writer of Hebrews 10.5 referring to Jesus, he said, a body you've prepared for me to do your will. This body that we're in, this tent, it's on loan to us by God. But that's so the Holy Spirit can do the will of the Father here on earth. Through our lives, those good works that God prepared beforehand, that we would live in them, walk in them. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, this was Jesus again in the prophetic. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. That was a prophetic word that pointed to Jesus because Jesus delighted to do the Father's will. God's word was written in his heart. He was the word made flesh. The logos, the word made flesh. So now C.S. Lewis, and again, this is all from the Bible study. If what you call your faith in Christ does not involve taking the slightest notice of what he says, then it's not faith at all. Not faith or trust in him, but only intellectual acceptance of some theory about him. Pretty heavy there. If we're walking in obedience, to the Lord, being a fruit-bearing tree, then we'll be walking in agape love, unconditional love like Jesus walked in. He walked in unconditional love. Glenn preached on this not too long ago, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become like a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And though I have all faith so I can remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits nothing. So again, we see that we need to have this agape love flowing from our heart towards all people because that was Jesus' example to us, right? He loved everyone. Those that crucified him, what did he say from the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He forgave us on that cross. We've been called by God to love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. So I'm going to skip over here. So how do we bear the fruit of faith according to the scriptures? We need to be abiding in the vine. John 15, verses 1 through 5, Jesus talked about this. You can look up the scriptures there. A vine is a coil about a support. How many here are growing cucumbers? And you see if you have the trellises, how those vines just wrap themselves around it. It keeps wrapping itself around it. But what happens if you pull it off? It's going to die. The same is true of us. We have to be abiding in him. We have to be spending time with him. Abide means to stay in a given place, in a state or relation or expectancy to abide, to continue to dwell, to endure, be present. This is what our relationship with the Lord should look like, to remain, to tarry, to not depart, to continue to be present. So important that we abide in him in that way, that we take that time with him. So we see it's not just, faith is not enough just to be saved. Oh, I'm saved. I have faith. Well, there should be fruit from that faith, the works. That's what we're looking at, the works. There's different things that should be coming out of our lives. There should be a life that's surrendered to the Lord, a life that's obedient to the Lord, a life that's dying daily to what I want, what I desire, what I long for. You know, for the sake of the gospel, this is why I'm doing this, for the sake of the gospel, for Jesus, because Jesus has stepped into my life. So I'm laying it down willfully, willfully laying it down. But I have to abide in him, because if I'm not abiding in him, then the strength, the power, whatever I need to be able to live that, do that, is not going to be there. I'm just going to be totally in the flesh, just fighting with God all the way and just insisting on having my own way. And God's not going to bless that. And how can I call that faith? So faith and works goes together. It goes together. Spurgeon said, everything a believer has must come from Christ through the channel of the spirit of grace. Just as all blessings flow to you through the Holy Spirit, nothing good can come out of you in holy thought, devout worship, or gracious act apart from the sanctifying operation of the Spirit. And that's why we pray for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. I need greater influence. I need you more. We heard on Sunday about God's grace from Titus 2. God's grace teaches us how to live in this way. And the Holy Spirit helps us to live in this way where we deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, sober-minded, the times we're in, wanting to be right before God, wanting to be right before man. 
and living godly in this present age, not chasing down the things that are ungodly, unholy. Because again, we heard this on Sunday, we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us. He's in the process of redeeming us from every lawless deed and purifying for himself his own special people zealous for good works. So I'm going to jump down here. I was reading... I've been reading through a book off and on from A.W. Tozer. It's The Second Coming of Christ, Living with Anticipation. And in it, he said, when the wonder of regeneration has taken place in our lives, then comes the lifetime of preparation with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Meaning the Christian life is a preparation for eternity. God's preparing us now for eternity. Every day is another day of spiritual preparation, another day of testing and discipline with our heavenly destination in mind. So we're going to start looking at next week, the heroes of faith. And we're probably going to take, instead of just doing one chapter on the heroes of faith, we're going to break it down into a couple of weeks because there's so much in there. But they are an example to us of how to live this life of faith despite the circumstances because some of them had miracles signs wonders they wonderful things happening others were sawn in two tortured killed so what was their secret we need to learn their secret so that when our time comes we will be with that list of people that have gone before us I think about a friend, we were just talking to her about, uh, to someone that is very dear to us that we've known for many years. He called us today with um, some devastating news and we started talking about a friend that we, we all knew. She had breast cancer and um, at the time when she called us and told us she had a lump, we told her, we said, you need to go to the doctor and look and cut it out. Nope. Nobody's touching me. No one's putting a knife to my breast. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. And she would always tell us, God's going to heal me. God's going to heal me. Well, the cancer wound up spreading everywhere. And the last time we saw her, she was, when she got the cancer, she was in her 50s. Last time we saw her, she looked like she was 80 years old. She couldn't even walk to the door. She opened the door, she looked at both of us, she said, I want to go home, I'm tired. But she held faith, believing God was going to heal her. We couldn't even recognize her. She looked so, she was, the cancer just totally ate her up. But when I left her house, I, we prayed over her and I turned back to look at her and she smiled. And through that cancer just eating her all up inside, I saw her, the old woman she was, with her smile just glowed. And I said, there she is. There she is. She died shortly after that. And we were talking about her today, and this friend of ours was saying how that really shipwrecked his faith when she died, because he was believing 
that she was going to be healed. She was believing she was already healed. She died from the cancer. But I remember when she died, I looked at Jeff and I said, you know what? She's a hero of faith to me. She held faith to the very end that God was going to heal her. She never doubted that God was going to heal her. And I remember when she died, I said, did she receive her healing? She sure did. Not on this side of eternity. <laughs> but she got her healing. She's whole now. She's my hero of faith. My modern day hero of faith. And we are just talking about her today. So we want to learn from the saints that have gone before us. But then two saints we've known that have held faith no matter what. To their last breath, they held faith that God was going to intervene, that God was going to move, that God was going to do something. Man, that's like how we need that today. Because if we look at everything going on in our world, it just seems so dark and hopeless. But we have to remember who he is. You know, as we began this Bible study, faith is having faith in his faithfulness not our faithfulness his faithfulness because he's the faithful one so we want to learn from these heroes of faith so we're going to be breaking it down and looking at that over the next few weeks together so i'm excited about that because there's so much in hebrews 11 that we can take for ourselves so our counseling center does have no electricity downstairs. We've been down for three weeks, no electricity. We've been having a counsel upstairs, but we don't have a copy machine. I don't know why I'm recording this. 